This is the Working Drummer Podcast. Working Drummer Podcast. Featuring ground level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Albetta, and today my guest is Max McVitty. With a drumming pedigree from Berkeley and a musical ethos from the eclectic creative community in the Berkshires where he grew up, Max has been embedded in the L.A. scene, specifically Long Beach, for over a decade. He has toured and recorded with Carl Denson's Tiny Universe, Lyrics Born, DJ Williams, and many others. Prior to that, he was based in Oakland, primarily riding the drum chair for seminal West Coast hip-hop group Crown City Rockers. He also runs his own studio in Long Beach, Bunkhouse Recordings, where he does drum tracking, mixing, producing, and artist development. So I recently took some time away to go home to New Mexico and spend some time with family, and I want to take a minute to thank my co-host Matt for picking up the slack during that time. Since I joined Matt on Working Drummer Podcast, he and I have split the workload alternating weeks, and he stepped up and doubled his output for a month. So I could just totally unplug for a while, and I really, really appreciate it. Big thanks to Matt. We invite you to learn more about this episode and check out our archive of over 300 episodes at WorkingDrummer.net. Also, please subscribe to Working Drummer Podcast on your platform of choice. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. While you're there, please leave us a rating and review. This helps new listeners find us. We would also appreciate your support on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash working drummer, and a donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive content from our former guests. Think of this as professional development for drummers. It's all useful and actionable lessons for the working pro. We're populating new content regularly, and as little as $1 a month gets you access to all of it. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can also make a one-time donation through PayPal. There are links for both on our homepage. Once again, that's workingdrummer.net. So this was a pretty wide-ranging talk Max and I had. I think we covered a lot of ground in terms of the stages of his career and development and all the teachable moments along the way. So here we go. Hope you dig Max McVitie. Lately, we've been asking people about their COVID experience, um, and for interviews in general, we don't necessarily like to start at the very beginning. But um, right. with you, I do want to start at the beginning because the the place you grew up, I think, had a, a profound effect on just your whole sort of musical upbringing and, and your musical ethos. Um, so, so talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So. I grew up in Western Massachusetts in a a place called the Berkshires, Berkshire County. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's this, it's a small town, uh, place in, in this little mountain range. And the thing about it that's interesting is there's just so many creative people, uh, lots of artists, lots of forward thinking people that live there. And, um, I just, I, I grew up 
with well my dad is a musician Mm -hmm. he's a singer and guitar player so uh i was i was around a ton of musicians and creative people my entire life um my dad uh was in a band called the well his first band was called swing shift that i remember cool (laughs) yeah it's kind of this uh country blues band and then from there he went to uh play in a band called the blue stars and the blue stars was this band that they play blues funk you know mostly covers Mm -hmm. but in the Blue Stars, where it, it was kind of this sort of all-star cast of musicians from Berkshire County, mm-hmm. that uh, so it was Steve Ide who uh, was in a band called Shenandoah, and they Shenandoah, and then another band called Boogity Shoe, <laughs> <laughs> and the this this band was hired by arlo guthrie who is i don't know if arlo's from the berkshires but he lives in the berkshires and alice's restaurant was actually about a place in berkshire county maybe even stockbridge yeah okay um so there's this whole kind of um there's a bunch of musicians that were sort of from the arlo guthrie camp Mm -hmm. that that my dad was kind of involved with. And that's sort of who I grew up around. You know, my, my the very first concert I went to was a Arlo Guthrie concert. Oh, in how cool. Springfield, Massachusetts when I was like five, and, you know. <laughs> nice. Um, but not only musician, I mean musicians, but there's, uh, there's a ton of like Moby Dick, the uh, Herman Melville mm-hmm. lived in the virtual for a while. And, um, W.E.B. Du Bois is from the Berkshires. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, like, in addition to the the music there, it, it just seemed like this sort of, like, glorified artist colony where creatives of all stripes just sort of flocked at one point or another. Exactly. Yeah, it's it, it seems to be that way. I think, uh, you know, the 60s and 70s, kind of the, the hippie era, um, I think a lot of people left cities and came to country areas and um, the Berkshires kind of ended up being a a hotbed and it's also you know it's a big tourist area for people from New York Um, I think the Taconic Parkway was literally built for for people to drive from New York directly to the Berkshires so Mm -hmm. there's a big uh, there's also a big um, you know dance community uh shakespeare there's a shakespeare and company uh when i was 10 years old i met keanu reeves because he, he <laughs> was he doing not. shakespeare yeah <laughs> I, I you'd never know it and the, but he uh yeah, i met him at like a, a shakespeare festival where he was like the guest speaker <laughs> oh wow that's yeah nuts. so that it yeah, so it's a cool little area that's, you know, if you look at it on a map, you're like, oh, it's in the middle of nowhere. But um, there's just a ton of a ton of music, creative stuff. And also a lot of people from New York come in. So there's this there's a uh, there's this influence of New York City on the area as well. So mm-hmm. there's like a level of 
of you know art artistry that is that you have to keep a certain level there because right. you're, you know you're performing for people from the city that have sort of seen everything and <laughs> right right i uh I remember when I wrote your bio um this uh you know, this, this part of your life, I, I really related to because I grew up in Santa Fe, New Mexico, um, oh, wow. which is, you know, a very different place in many ways, but the same in that it's, you know, just sort of this overgrown artist colony full of fucking weirdos, <laughs> you know? So like you, you grow up around this and you're like, Oh, well, this is how people are. And this is what art is like. Um, right. and then you go out into the rest of the world and you're like, man, the, the place I grew up with, like, it just isn't normal. Like it's, <laughs> you know, yeah, no, and it stays with you like that, that sort of weirdo ethos just sort of stays with you somehow. It really does. No. And that's so interesting. Santa Fe, uh, right now that's where the, the MC from the, my, the band that we, we never broke up. We're, we're still a band crown city rockers. Mm-hmm moved to Santa Fe and I think that was specifically for that reason that you're speaking of that you know he, um he's just doing so much there and and around so many incredible creative people that you you just wouldn't know you 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 wouldn't think oh I'm going to I'm going to go to Santa Fe to find the right <laughs> <laughs> yeah the high level stuff but it yeah it's a thing and that that's interesting you said that cuz that I wondered that. I was like, why is he moving to Santa Fe? But man, he's just thrived there and just done some of the coolest things. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, a wide open space in, in more ways than one. Um, yeah, yeah. The, the other cool thing about like your, your early life um, that I liked hearing about was in, like, in addition to the music that your dad was playing, um, he yeah. would, you know, the, the music that he was listening to and the music that he was having you listen to, um, was like really intentional and really eclectic. I mean, it seemed, it seemed like he was kind of filling your head with, um, you know, some, some, uh, social and political and cultural, uh, uh, you know, ideas through music. That, that's so true. And it, it took me, you know, it took me years to kind of look back and realize how, how special that was and yeah and possibly intentional mm-hmm. you know i mean i so my dad was listening to to hip hop in mm-hmm. the in the the 90s so the music that was being played in my house and in the car ride to school and home from little league practice was public enemy <laughs> krs1 <laughs> queen latifah yeah. the jungle you know, it loud too. My dad played it music loud, <laughs> like <laughs> cruising through so, the Berkshires, just blasting hip hop. Tiny country roads, uh, you know, and and Fela. I, you know, I would be eating breakfast, getting ready for school, and we had this boombox next to the breakfast table, and mm-hmm. my mom would like Fela Kuti and. Um, just all kind of reggae. My mom was really into reggae. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was a lot of really, uh, conscious music. Yeah. You know, that I was was surrounded by and my, you know, my dad is a very like politically aware person, really well read, Mm -hmm. reads constantly. 
and and his favorite things to talk about are are just you know politics and the state of the world and you know and music right so those dinner conversations we were sitting around just talking about you know the difference between the way albert king holds his guitar and the way that bb king holds his guitar <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? yeah those, those were those are the sort of conversations that we're having while we're eating dinner <laughs> yeah that's cool that's so cool um yeah. so when it comes time to you know sort of like grow up and go to college um you 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 took what seems to me like kind of a left turn um which is that like you went to berkeley you went into jazz fusion land um right after right. after this sort of very rootsy uh you know um <laughs> rootsy artsy upbringing um right so like what what um why why'd you do that <laughs> That's such an interesting observation. I never uh, thought of it that way. But, uh, you know, it, as much as the, the Berkshires kind of had to offer, I also <clears throat> felt like I needed to to move to a city. Mm-hmm. And and I, was, I wasn't ready for, for New York. I, I love New York so much, but I was intimidated, yeah. you know? Yeah. And not not only that, but when I was eight years old, I started taking drum lessons from a guy named Jay Bradley, who went to Berkeley. And growing up, there was always this talk, you know, Berkeley was always kind of in the conversation. There were, there's a lot of musicians in the Berkshires that, that went to Berkeley. Mm-hmm. So um, it just kind of was something that was there that I was like, wow, there's this far off place that you go <laughs> all you do is study music you yeah, know it's yeah. just um it was so interesting to me and so while i was studying with jay he definitely opened my mind to to jazz now my parents listened to quite a lot of jazz as well um but i didn't really connect with it um until Actually, it was in high school, which that, that's an interesting co- course of events. Uh, like I, I kind of, you know, in, in middle school, high school, I started playing sports and, and was always playing drums with my dad. We had a Wednesday night jam session. <laughs> we would play Wednesday. My mom taught at a, at a community college. My sister was a dancer. They, were, they wouldn't get home till late. So every Wednesday, my dad and I jam. But I wasn't like super into the drums as as much as i was when i was younger Mm -hmm. and an interesting thing happened that when i was uh in high school a good friend of mine who was the drummer in the jazz band a great drummer named bob malott he fell and broke his wrist snowboarding and the band director at my school came up to me and kind of was like i know who you are i know who your dad is (laughs) (laughs) You need a drummer, you know, what's up? Yeah. <laughs> I just thought in my head, I was like, oh, I, I was kind of getting back into it a little bit. And I thought, oh, this would be cool. I'll just play in the high school jazz band. I never in my life thought I would be involved in any school band stuff mm-hmm. because I grew up in nightclubs. Right. You know, right. I, my, 
my parents, we didn't have, we had babysitters once in a while, but for the most part, I was like five years old at the club (laughs) (laughs) watching my dad, you know. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And, and, um, so our high school was involved in a jazz festival that was held at the Heinz Convention Center in in Boston. It was, it was put on by Berkeley College of Music. So I got to this jazz festival and saw kids my age healing it. Mm -hmm. Like, oh my God, it just blew my mind, you know? And that was a huge eye opener because, I mean, I I wasn't, you know, people knew that I played drums in my community and they they knew my dad and maybe I was sort of a somewhat medium fish in a small pond. Right, right. (laughs) I went to when I went to that Berkeley Jazz Festival. I that really just put me in my place, and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> yeah, okay, this, this is where kids are at. Never mind like adults, you know." Yeah, yeah. So it really, it 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 kind of scared the shit out of me, but also like I had an epiphany that I'll never forget. Like I had this moment. I'm sitting in Heinz Convention Center, and you know sort of side note like i'm i'm involved in sports at school but i've always been not like the biggest dude i'm average height kind of skinny right so damn like sports was always reminding me of that (laughs) (laughs) and i had this moment where i was like wait a minute i i i'm the perfect size because I'm a drummer, because I'm a musician. I, I like figured out who I was all in one moment, hmm. sitting there, 15 years old, you know, watching kids my age rip. And I was like, I forgot who I was for a moment there. Huh. And from, from that, like literally from that moment on, it's been music like full steam ahead, mm-hmm. you know? So uh, the long-winded answer to your question <laughs> Is that, you know, that I was like, well, I need to go, I need to go to Berkeley. I need to, you know, uh, yeah. I, I kind of researched other schools, but the thing about Berkeley is as much of a jazz school as it is, it's, it's a very contemporary school, you know, and then yeah. there, there's the, the fusion thing, but, um, and I actually didn't know it at the time, but when I got there i quickly realized that um yes there are like the jazz guys at berkeley and people you know playing this and that but um when i was at berkeley in the uh yeah i was there 95 to 99 a lot of people were really into hip-hop yeah you know yeah uh and i think that was kind of the beginning of um this uh this new fusion between jazz and hip hop don't you think yeah i well i think musicians were kind of finally uh getting into it a little bit and not being as um i mean there's always the there's always been this kind of musician attitude towards hip hop that it, you know it's not legit or whatever mm-hmm. and, um, but that era, it kind of was, I, I think musicians were, were kind of being, finding their way into it and being like, oh, wait, I, I do dig this. You know, this is a sample from one of my favorite records. And right. it's 
that's actually the coolest part of that song. <laughs> yeah. Cut out like the corny stuff and move right into this, like the coolest little four bars of, of oh, okay. Like, you know, I, I think people's minds were starting to really open up and the, the, yeah, the, the sort of fusion between musicians and the hip hop world was really coming together at yeah, that time. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, so I, I jumped into that. I mean, it, it, it took, it took a while. I mean, there's, gosh, there's a lot, there's a lot in between all of that. You know, when, when I was at Berkeley, um, I was very, I was very much into jazz, but starting to you know get get a little discouraged with it and 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 not really how, how do i put it i i just wasn't i was like okay this this is cool but mostly what i'm seeing when i go see jazz is like i'm you're playing for musicians or people that might know what's going on or kind of pretending what's going on mm -hmm. that know what's <laughs> there was this pretentious thing i was seeing you know i was like i'm looking around the audience and i'm seeing okay most of these people are musicians and some of these people are like really really being like yeah i know what i know what jazz is and it's right like, are you, sh <laughs> you know <laughs> and you know i've i've found that like in a in a jazz audience like there, there are some non-musicians in a jazz audience who who genuinely do understand it um, yeah. and there's a small like subsection of jazz fans who don't understand it and still enjoy it, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, but you're right. I think there, there are some people who are like, you know, they're enjoying it on whatever level they, they can, but I, th I think they're fronting a bit as far as like how, how deep it's really hitting with them. <laughs> <laughs> exactly so yeah i was just kind of i was on like i was on a, a journey i mean I, I you know i started wondering what i started asking like where where music came from you know like where so where, where did jazz come from and i started really digging into like history you know history of music and which led me into understanding the history of this country, which opened up a whole can of worms of just like, whoa, okay, this is why things are the way they are, mm -hmm. you know? And um, so I, I really started, you know, studying the, the, Af the African diaspora, the slave trade, the, how that affected the West, um, and how that has everything to do with every type of music in the U.S., mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So that took me down this road of, like, I, I, got, I got really into, like, Afro-Cuban music, Brazilian music. And um, I loved the rhythms. And, um, you know, I, I would translate the lyrics and, mm. and realize... There, there's either like this this sort of spiritual message or like a political message, and I was I was really getting into like traditional African music, and and then I started seeing the the link between those types of music and hip hop, right? Because 
in those types of music in 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 uh afro-cuban and brazilian there's there's a loop aspect to it mm -hmm. these these are looped right and it's dance music like those rhythms are specifically made for people to dance there's even actual per like dances that go with those rhythms right and over the top of that is this message and i was like wait that's that's hip-hop yeah know? yeah there's there's this loop aspect there's dances that go along with it that are like very serious people are you know with Break whether it's break dancing or whether it's the new cool dance that goes along with this rhythm, mm -hmm. and then at the time it was there was this very strong message, you know. Like I always say, I really learned a lot more from a lot of hip hop records than I did, like from history classes in high school, or you know. Yeah, yeah. So that led me, um, led me to really focusing on hip-hop because i you know as i was playing these you know i was playing like bata and i was playing this afro-cuban music i also was kind of like I, I don't speak spanish I, I i feel like i'll always have sort of an accent right playing. you know i i'm not from this culture i which you mean you'll have I, like a musical accent I have a musical accent yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> No matter how hard I try to play this this tumbao, it, it's just never gonna. <laughs> <laughs> I may think I'm playing the pattern. Yep. <laughs> yep. You're saying but... so, and, and and you know, not that I I clearly did not grow up in an urban environment, and uh, you know, and hip hop is clearly an urban music language, you know, coming from black and brown people, and mm -hmm. I'm clear that but uh i'm also i grew up in america and right and, it's rooted in american traditions and american styles and you are an american um yeah I, I like the connection you made when um when i was interviewing you for your bio um and you were you were talking about how like you were you were studying jazz you know and and uh early jazz like pre-bop jazz especially was um, well, and even, even bebop, like it started out as, you know, a, a dance movement and turned into a social movement. Um, yeah. and you're studying like the same sorts of dance, social musical movements in different cultures. And you kind of had this, this realization that, that like, what's, what is that movement for my country, for my generation? And, yeah. and you realized it's hip hop. Yeah, Absolutely. when i first got to berkeley i i immediately made a, a like a group of friends we all just hung out and like party together, you know, and that group of friends actually started this um, punk ska band, which is interesting, you know, cause I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about all this like political stuff and I'm, I'm 
like listening to all this type of music and thinking about all that that but meanwhile i have this group of friends that they're like fun fun to hang out with and they like started this this like punk ska band mm-hmm. that the the drummer ended up being the singer <laughs> and they were like hey do you want to play drums for us and i was like yeah that'd be fun you know i and i'm thinking i'm thinking i'm going to hang out with my friends and also it's really fast stuff. So like the drum nerd in me is like, well, I need to learn how to play fast and relax. So this is good technical practice for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, next thing I know, it's this band is like touring and putting out records. And it's like a, a part of my identity almost for a lot of people. They knew me as like the drummer for the name of the band is Big D and the Kids Table. <laughs> <laughs> right and so like i i know what you mean like all of a sudden overnight you're like oh i'm i'm a ska drummer now i guess okay uh. <laughs> <laughs> and and there's a lot you know and i'm bringing elements of like i'm trying to infuse elements of like uh you know uh funk and hip-hop and stuff into it there's moments and even the, there's moments where i'm playing like uh like afro-cuban patterns while i'm playing like a <laughs> Mm-hmm. a fast punk beat but i'm playing like this afro cuban pattern on the cymbal and i'm like figuring all this stuff out to infuse the stuff that i like uh into it and um yeah so i'm like going going to berkeley studying all this stuff meanwhile like touring playing shows with this punk ska band and also taking the bus home and playing gigs with my dad because at this point i'm in two bands with my dad hmm. Uh, one is called Advanced Funk, and <laughs> and the which we na- he named that band because I bought that book by Rick Latham. Advanced right, I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, it was, the band was totally named after that uh, that book. That's um, funny. Yeah, and then I had another. I have another band with my dad called One Straw Revolution. Um, which is based off of my, you know, my parents are also big into gardening and stuff. And there's a book called One Straw. I think it's, the book is called One Straw Revolution. It's this idea of, uh, of gardening where you like don't weed, you you let things grow naturally, and it, this whole concept. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm doing all this stuff. Um, you know, putting out records. That that band, Big D, is they're they're still together. They did wow. like Warp Tour. Like anyone. <laughs> world knows of big d and the kids table you know and right um i i played on the first two albums and there's people that still hit me up um on that the the album good luck that i played on um you know there, there's certain people that love certain albums from big d and there's like the good luck crowd that loves that album and but um so as time was going on like the the pull of needing to to really explore this to, to explore hip hop music and dive in deeper was like it was just eating at me you mm-hmm. know like i'm on tour with big d and i'm in the back of the van eyes closed with my heads on with headphones on listening to like you know gangstar and 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 <laughs> transcribing krs1 lyrics and, wow. and stuff yeah and um that's right around the time that I met 
uh, Kat Awano, this incredible keyboard player. And she introduced me to Ethan Parsonage, a.k.a. Headnotic. He's a hip-hop producer. Mm -hmm. And um, we start playing a weekly gig at this little spot in Mission Hill in Boston called The Chopping Block. It was we just played every Tuesday and we um I was playing with it was Dave Holmes on guitar, who's from the dub trio. Mm-hmm. And a bunch of people would come in and out. Stu Brooks played on that gig for a while. Um, you know, a lot of people would come in and out. That was that was there was this, you know, rotating cast of people that was there. There's another club called Wally's that everyone knows about in boston mm-hmm. all the guys from lettuce you know like adam deitch and and uh Schmeens and jesus uh Cra- eric krasno yeah yeah so they would like come in and sit in and stuff and it was it was just man it was it was an incredible scene and cat and ethan joined up with mo pope who's an incredible mc from boston and Rashan Ahmad, another MC who was who's from LA but was living in Boston, they put a band together, a live hip hop band called Mission, because they lived in Mission Hill mm-hmm. in Boston, and they they just kind of up and left. They they moved to Oakland, California. They're like, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do this. We're gonna make this band. And they just like got in there, like packed up their car and left. Wow. And Kat at at one point kind of was like, oh, you know, maybe you want to join, you want to join mission. And I kind of was like, it, it, it was kind of like a side note, like, oh, maybe you could play drums for us and that'd be cool. I was like, oh, that'd be cool. But then they moved and right. I didn't, yeah, my, my weekly gig, you know, they <laughs> But I also got, you know, that's when actually when Stu Brooks came in and was the bass player. You know, I got to play with a ton of people. But um, so fast forward like a year later, I'm, you know, I'm playing with Big D in the kids table, touring, playing tons of gigs with my dad. I wanted to graduate Berkeley. And after I graduated, it it just kind of hit me that I, you know, I, I just, I had to, I had to make a change. It, it like ate, ate at me, you know? Mm. And uh, I ended up leaving the ska band, which was like one of the hardest things to do. Cause it's, these are all like some of my best friends, you know, right, we right. this monster together, but I just I just couldn't do it anymore, and they all were just super cool, supportive. They found a a great drummer that took you know took my place. Like it was a it was a cool transition. And then just just as that was happening, there ha- it happened to be that I could move to Oakland and join Mission, hmm. and it was just like all this came together. So I just got on a Greyhound and was like, 
all right, let, let me do this, you know, like. So they, like when they, when Cat and Ethan moved to Oakland, like when they moved, they were kind of like, well, maybe you could come with us, and and you were like, no, I'm going to finish school, I'm going to keep playing in this band, but then like after school, you you found that the door was still open there. Well, yeah, I, it 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 kind of was like I I heard through the grapevine that they kind of were looking for a drummer, you mm-hmm. know. I called up Cat, and I was like, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> And, um, you know, I, I just up and moved. I just like literally just, and that was another really tough thing to tell my dad. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, but I, I had to do it. I was just like, I don't know when I would have the opportunity to, to join a a live hip hop band, you know, when would I have that and at and at the level that they were at you know that uh head Nod is just an incredible producer cat they all are like incredibly talented motivated like hard working you know mm-hmm. so i just was like man I, to 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 be able to like be a part of a, a crew like that would would be like life-changing you know and, and would be a dream to I, you know i really didn't think I'm thinking like, man, I'm I'm just a white kid from a small town who loves hip hop, mm-hmm. and I should like observe it from afar, just just be <laughs> a, a fan, of it, you know, and just just respect it from from where I'm at. And um, you know, I I had this opportunity to join this this crew, and just and it was it it was incredible, you know. We uh, that's interesting what you said, like. You know, I'm I'm gonna appreciate it from afar. Like, you're you know you're <laughs> uh, you're you're in Berkeley. You're in a ska band. Um, you know, you're playing blues gigs with your dad. Like, these are um, you know not to put too fine a point on it, but these are the 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 gigs that you'd expect a white boy who grew up in the country to be playing. <laughs> and like, yes. did you did you feel like you didn't deserve to play hip hop? Did you feel like? Um, you didn't have anything to offer hip hop because you're a white kid who grew up in the country. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Huh. For sure. So, and yeah. And you know, I, I thought there would be maybe scrutiny or I, I, I also thought like, why, sh- why should I, you know, there's so many incredible black drummers who, you know, who, who, are very much a part of this this culture. You know, hip hop is a is a culture. It's not just a it's not just a music. It's not just a this thing that you buy and sell. It, it's it's a way of describing a culture and a way of looking at the world and a way of you know thinking right. and listening and acting. And, you know, so um, I kind of yeah, I kind of had that in my head. Like I I actually shouldn't because it should be this this guy here. You mm-hmm. know that that live the life that, right. you know, I, I guess I had that imposter syndrome going yeah, on in yeah. my head. And uh, I have to, I kind of have to, uh, have to give a shout and, and really, um, you know, a, a big influence, w- um, was Adam Deitch, mm-hmm. you know, who, uh, we, we became friends at Berkeley and he he very much uh you know he's he's from new york so he he 
he's definitely like is a city kid, but grew up around around the hip hop culture and was very much in it. But what I learned from him is that as long as you really respect the culture and respect the music and really, really like pour your heart and soul into it and make sure, you know, there's a, a thing, especially at that time in, in hip hop culture where there was like checks and balances, like you, you really had to be good at what you do <laughs> in order to gain respect. You yeah, know? yeah. And so that, that's kind of the way he always carried himself. And I, and so he was a big um, influence and like a, a, kind of a mentor in a way just you know was just kind of like he he did it full throttle kind of unapologetically was like yeah this this is me yeah and and it's and i'm gonna do it respectfully and um and do it well you know so i kind of what i took i was like well okay if i do this in a respectful way and understand that i'm I'm a guest in the house of hip hop, hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and, and really, um, do it justice, do, you know, play, uh, know, know the history, um, give respect where respects do, um, that, that I, I could feel okay with it, you mm-hmm. know? And that's kind of how, how I've always kind of walked, walked the walk, you yeah. know, I, still to this day am you know studying and and reading and and you know under, understanding and and being an an advocate and an ally and knowing that this this isn't just it goes beyond the music it's 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 culture it's um uh you, um you know it's a uh, I don't, it, it just goes it just goes so deep right you know right so um that's that kind of um that is what that's what made me feel good about being a part of this crew and then also once i was in the group which ended up we, we had to change our name to um crown city rockers there, there was this group from england that uh had the name mission hmm. and we put out one, one, one record called mission one. And they, they sent us, uh, an email just being like, uh, we sold 400,000 copies last year. How many did you sell? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, it was less. <laughs> yes. Yeah. If you want to do this, we can do this or you change your name. And right. so, so the, the band, we changed our name to Crown City Rockers. Um, I think it's a better name by a mile, anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's kind of like an old school b boy, like breakdance crew name. Yeah. And um, Rashawn is from Pasadena, and and uh, Woodstock, Pete Alvarado. He's another member of Crown City. He's also from Pasadena, which is known as the Crown City. Mm. So, they kind of had a group back in the day, actually, that they call they call Crown City Rockers. So we took that that name, and um, yeah. So you know, from I, I joined Crown City in two thousand, and I just was immersed in 
the hip hop world, not just, not just, um, you know, by my own, um, like study and, and, and love for it, but I'm right, now, now, in, now you're immersed in Oakland. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm living in Oakland and I'm, uh, I'm in this band that, that tours and is getting known in the, in the hip hop world mm-hmm. and becoming a part of like the community of, of, you know, <clears throat> other hip hop groups and, and just, you know, really surrounding myself with, with a lot of like-minded people. And yeah. I, I mean, it was an incredible time too. We, we caught the, we caught the end of the sort of like conscious hip hop movement. Mm-hmm. You know, we really, we were lucky enough to put out a couple of records, a couple albums <clears throat> in the era where, uh, you know, Jurassic five was on the radio and signed to Interscope. And, you know, there was still groups that were on major labels. So, you know, and we were opening up for most deaf and common. Yeah. I was going to say most deaf, like as, as you're talking about this, I'd, I'd re listened to, um, black on both sides recently. Uh, Man, like when you were talking about just the whole conscious rap, conscious hip hop movement, um, like I think about that. I think about KRS-One. Um, I think about uh, Talib Kweli and, um, you know, Roots, like all that late 90s, early aughts uh, shit that was just so, uh, so it was so powerful, man. It was like full of uh, juice. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it was an, it's an, it was incredible musically and lyrically and you know um and talk to me about oakland a little bit because i've i've only spent like a day there basically um but you know i've been i've been in atlanta for uh over five years now um and i i kind of imagine oakland to be uh similar to atlanta in some ways in that there is such deep rich black history there um such a vibrant creative community um, but, but like with some grit to it, you know, For sure. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> Oakland, Oakland's a great place, man. It's, it's, it's a, a thriving art, artistic community. Mm-hmm. Um, and community is the word. I mean, that's, that's really what, what you see when you're in Oakland, you know, yeah. you see, um, these incredible, uh, festivals in like June, Juneteenth is is huge in Oakland and and um <clears throat> yeah the the and the the um sort of uh the activist you know um community is really strong there you know the the social awareness um movements are are really strong there that you know people really um come together you know it's it's so interesting like well, uh, you know the black panthers are from there you mm-hmm. know the original um kind of activist group that it, it it's so interesting that they've you know gotten a a bad rap over over the years you know like mm-hmm. even i from what i knew i i had this like kind of negative connotation when i thought of the black panthers but then you you, when you really 
understand it and realize what they were doing. It's like, whoa, no, these were community activists trying to like protect, feed, and save their community. Yeah, yeah. Um, That is really strong. I I think they 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 got a bad rap because um, they uh, you know. (laughs) <laughs> they they kind of had a uniform and some of them were armed and it scared the shit out of white people. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, and you know, the, the, the government did a great job of dismantling and, and, and demonizing the entire thing. Yeah. yeah. But <clears throat> yeah, I mean, Oakland, Oakland has that just that, that strong community feel. And, um, you know, there, there's, there's obviously it's, it's a city, and there's elements of it that that are are rough and and dangerous. And um, but I personally, I lived in Oakland for eleven years, and I, 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 I just have n- nothing really negative to say. I had, I, ne- I, I lived in a neighborhood that, you know, to some people would probably be kind of iffy and, mm-hmm. and, and it, it was in some ways, but it also, there was families, you yeah. know, and, and I walked my neighborhood. I walked to BART. I, I walked all around all through the, the streets and never had, never had an issue. I mean, I had friends that had issues and, yeah. um, but you know, um, yeah, it, it was, man, it, it was, it was good living there, man. The, the, the Bay area has, has a lot of, a lot, a lot of just, you know, really creative people, really smart, uh, aware people that you, you can learn a lot from, you yeah. know, it, it was, it was, it was like a good, you know, good transition for me from, Berkshires to Boston to Oakland. Right. And I was, I was going to say like, as you're describing it, you know, Oakland, um, sounds like, um, you know, similar to the environment of the Berkshires, like to the nth degree, it's, it's a bunch of super creative people, artistic people, socially conscious, uh, you know, politically aware people. Um, but you know, there's, there's a million of them instead of (laughs) a few thousand. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, the Berkshires isn't isn't the most diverse place. Sure. With all that said, yeah, you, all, all that wonderful stuff about the Berkshires, there is still a very you know s- the small town white element, right? But you know? you, you had a unique experience there because even though you're surrounded by white people, um, you're also surrounded by uh, just you know black culture and uh latino culture and just because of the music you're listening to the stuff you're talking about with your dad like um so you know like the um uh, an environment like oakland is like the actual manifestation of just sort of this world that you had your head in from a very young age right yeah 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 oakland was the you could you could actually see it all playing out in real time right you know yeah 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 Whereas you hear it in the hip hop songs are like, that's how you, you live your life in, in, in a city. I mean, I, I got that. I started getting that mostly in Boston and, and that's a curious thing too. I mean, I, as much hip hop and stuff as I listened to when I was growing up, I wouldn't call myself like a hip hop 
head when I was in high school mm-hmm. because I was living in in a small town. It actually took moving to Boston. Excuse me. It took it took living in a city for me to really be like, oh, okay, now I really get it. the move from um you know this this fertile ground of oakland where you seem to have uh you know just sort of found yourself in in the place you should be given your your interests and your history to the (laughs) the cultural (laughs) wasteland (laughs) of l no i'm kidding there's there's so much to love about la um but uh it's you know it's it's a it's a different place with with different rules and different priorities um, so what, uh, what brought you there? Well, you know, when, when, well, first of all, uh, Rashawn and Woodstock are from LA, you know, that's right. The, the Pasadena guy, guys. Yeah. So the guys in the band are, are from LA and they, they, when they would talk about LA, they were, t- they would talk about, LA from the hip hop perspective, you mm-hmm. know, from the perspective of like growing up and, and like the dance culture and the, the, the underground hip hop clubs, you know, um, the, the, uh, like how serious it was and, and how the, the community, you know, another, another sense of community, you know? Right. And, I, you know, I grew up on, I grew up on the East coast and my dad's from New York. My mom's from Connecticut, right. You know, right outside of New York, they both lived in Boston when I, so when I would go to cities, it would be like Boston or New York. And there's a certain feel absolutely to New York and Boston. There's a certain pace. Right. So when I was living in Oakland, the Bay Area has a slower pace to it, you know, which I don't I don't know if I honestly ever really got used to. Hmm. <clears throat> so anytime we used to play shows in L.A. all the time, you know, partly because of uh, the their roots in L.A., but also we were signed to a label in L.A. Uh, shout to Basement Records, shout to Rock. <clears throat> so every time I went to L.A., I just felt that energy that I would feel from East Coast cities. There was there was kind of like a there was a, a step up. There was kind of like a you kind of had to like oh watch yourself a little bit, you mm-hmm. know, and not not in in the dangerous way, but in like a you know there, there's a level to things in L.A. in a come correct way, in a come correct way, you know. <laughs> That's what I learned to love. I mean, that that was very much the environment at Berkeley. Mm-hmm. That was much the environment in New York City. That's very much the environment in hip hop, and it's 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 there in the Bay Area for sure. But there's also like this kind of warm, accepting thing that happens in the Bay, which is lovely. <laughs> well, I was gonna say, who needs that shit? 
for me personally, I I like that like razor sharp like uh, you know I I kind of thrive. I almost maybe would get lazy mm-hmm. in a place where I'm like a big fish in a in a smaller pond. You mm-hmm. know, like I, I need to. I need to feel that. So every time I would come to LA, I would just kind of be like, oh man, like I, I feel like I need to be on my toes. And, you know, we would, when we'd play shows here, we'd be like, okay, we're, we're playing in LA. Like we got, we got this show that it's like, hmm. ooh, you know? <clears throat> so, um, you know, when, when things started slowing down with crown city, uh, I, I actually, um, I had my sights set on LA. I kind of was like, I, I feel like this is a place I need to, I need, I need to, to be. Mm-hmm. And, <clears throat> um, things kind of slowed down to a, to a halt with, with crown city. And I had an opportunity to move to long beach. So I just, I just kind of took it and was like, okay, let me see what this LA thing is about. You yeah. know? Yeah. And Long Beach is kind of its own thing. Like it's, it's part of LA, um, but it definitely has its own sort of little subculture. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it does. It, it <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's, it's similar to Oakland in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. you know, Long Beach is parts of it. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I've, I've kind of found living here that, in in my head, I'm like, oh, I'm 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 near LA. I'm close enough. But I, I kind of quickly noticed like people are like, Oh, you live in Long Beach, that's cool. Like right. that's not LA. <laughs> you're not, you don't live here. You yeah. Know? So, yeah. And it's weird uh, because like I, I feel like if you live in the valley, um, you know, that's that's more, you know, quote unquote living in LA than than if you live down in long beach and i think like once you get to huntington beach that's just a different state altogether like that whole oc thing um and you're, yes <laughs> but um but yeah like it's 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 weird you know i never lived in long beach i i lived uh just up in in la proper um but yeah every time i went down there i was like this this just this feels different and i can't tell if i like it more or or not but like this just doesn't feel like la <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's a slower pace. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, but LA is always kind of it's always looming, you know. And right. I, I, <laughs> and I work with a lot of people in LA, and I I was you know when I got here, I was always out and checking out the the there's you know there's such a scene of like musicians, the sitting in scene, you yeah. know. The, uh, everything is just man, it's it's heavy. It's, yeah, it's really. Um, and I love that, you know, I mean, it's, it's been, it's been discouraging at times and like, oh man, you know, I come, I come home with my tail between my legs from a couple of sit-in sessions, you know, but (laughs) yeah, I did, I did many a night exactly what you're talking about. Just, and I think it was because I wasn't, you know, I, I didn't have a clear enough idea of, you know, what I wanted to be and what I was there to do. So a lot of times I, I found myself doing sort of not great impressions of, um, the, you know, the, the guys in the room that were really killing it. Um, yeah. so, yeah. uh, yeah, it was a, it was a, you know, I spent five years there and, and did okay. I worked, 
Um, but it was, it was more a lesson in, um, finding out what I wasn't going to be, what I didn't want to be. Um, then, then it was a process of sort of like, you know, blossoming and exploding into this, whatever it was, you know, it it was just this kind of slow process of like, I don't think I want to be that. I don't think I want to do that. I'm never going to sound like that. I don't think I should live here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, it it quickly it quickly can put you in your place, you know. Yeah. Um, especially, it can put you in your place, but also, I mean, it's so big. I mean, it is yeah. so it's so big, and each scene is so heavy that you kind of, yeah, it does it does kind of put you in a state of like, okay, yeah, okay, I got to figure out who I am, you know, and that's kind of always been an important thing to me, you know? Um, and, uh, it, it, it brought me into, it brought me back to more of like the, the hip hop thing Mm -hmm. where, um, you know, as a drummer, I, I, I really don't have chops, you know, I, I don't. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So many years trying to perfect the way that, um, you know, DJ Premier makes drums feel on a track and the way that Dilla makes drums just a loop feel that, you know, I forgot even, you know, I forgot to learn licks. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh yeah, licks, you know? Right, um, right. I just, I just love, you know, break beats and, and um, making people dance. Right. You know, and it, it kind of goes back to that kind of that, uh, you know, who's your audience? You know, I, I, uh, I, I you know, th- through my journey, I've kind of been like, I've kind of noticed like musicians have bad taste in music. <laughs> some of, yes, some of them do. <laughs> like, I, I, if what I want to, what I, when I want to hear what's, what's new and, and dope, I, I'm going to ask a DJ. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask a producer. I'm going to ask people that look out, mainly DJs. I'm like, they look out at crowds every night and see what works on the dance floor. Yeah. You know? And that's, and that's who, you know, that's, that's why some of these hip hop breaks are so classic that they're, that, that drum pattern is, is important because it makes people move a certain way or makes people move period. You know, right. someone not able to dance that well, if you play a certain drum pattern in a certain way, they're going to have to move their body. And I look to DJs and, and producers for that and mm-hmm. not, you know, quote unquote musicians so much, you know, that are like, dude, I can play in 11, 12. <laughs> yeah. Like, no one cares. I know. know like, yeah, nobody cares. Like a, a few, a few of your fellow musicians care. Um, yeah, they, and yeah. and it's all it's all well and good. You know, we 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 have this conversation a lot where we don't want to, um, you know, shit on <laughs> the musicians who are doing really avant garde shit or really technically uh, gotta, bonkers shit. Right. You know, um, but <laughs> say what. I I didn't mean to completely shit on musicians, but no, I, you weren't. You weren't at all. But like, um, 
we've uh, we've had so many more of these conversations about like you know what what is music really about what is the true purpose yeah. of music for most people um yeah. and it's it's not what um a lot of musicians and particularly young musicians are prioritizing and spending their time on and getting really good at Right. And in and a way, it, like you, I think you and I, well, not so much you, but I had to go through this process of like unlearning some complex, sophisticated shit just so I could make simple shit feel good. You yeah. know, like in a way that learning process was harder than the learning process of learning the hard shit. Yes. Uh, I bet that happens a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, no, you know, no diss to, because uh, I love, man, you know, the whole like, the whole gospel chops thing. Yeah. I love it. You know, my favorite drummers are, you know, Eric Moore and Thomas Pridgen. And, you know, the, I, the list goes on and on. I love those guys. And I think what they're doing with the instrument is incredible. And they are the jazz drummers of our era. Right. And they are the. They're they're astronauts. They're test pilots. They're they're fucking Chuck Yeager out there. <laughs> you know. I've also heard them. I I mean I've heard Ronald Bruner Jr. play a hip hop break and not deviate from that for a very long time. I've, yeah. I've heard him here in L.A. play some some pockets and not you know when it's time to light it up he does. So you know those cats do what I have like set my whole life out to do also. Right. When it's time to like light it, it's just like, you know, (laughs) absolutely. I mean, a hundred percent respect to all those guys. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, but for me, it's just been this, uh, you know, uh, obsession to, I, uh, there was a good friend of mine, um, Chris Carnes, who's this incredible DJ from Denver, just, um, uh, you know, world, world champ DJ. He gave me, a he gave me a folder of 500 classic hip hop breaks. Hmm. And I just, I was like, well, I'm going to learn all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Can you send it to me, please? I'll send it to you. <laughs> It it just it it goes to show you how deep it is because that's not all of them. I mean, he right. just he gave me all the, and I've been digging through that and trying to learn. You know, any anyone. I mean, that's actually all my. Uh, I started a uh, a TikTok page, and that's literally all it is. Is hmm. just I I play hip hop breaks. Like the, all the classic ones. Okay, you know? so we're gonna we're gonna uh, uh, just diverge here for a second. Talk to me about TikTok because oh. a, a few weeks ago um, I interviewed uh, Josh Harmon, who's this. Um, uh, he's he's started these pages that are like um, drums and comedy. He'll like transcribe somebody's comedy bit and like play it on the drums, and he started doing uh, like animated movies like Ratatouille and shit. But it's it's this whole thing. He's got a bazillion tiktok followers um and he like it was it was kind of the first time we had a chance to talk about tiktok and how you as a drummer can use it um so how are you using it how are you finding it what what's what's your experience there oh man i mean i just i so you know my my girlfriend loves tiktok she you know but she just 
is addicted to it, I would say, you know? <laughs> they got her. And, yeah. <laughs> it should, it was like, you should really start. You should really just do something. Just start something. And I was like, okay. I, I know exactly what I want to do. Because I actually wanted to do like a breakbeat series on um, Instagram where I just play classic breaks, you mm-hmm. know? So I was like, oh, I'll just do this on TikTok just for fun. I didn't think much of it. And... um I, I got some views, you know, and until I played the um, Juicy Break, the, um, you know, Biggie and oh, what's the name of the band, the original Juicy Fruit, uh, Matume, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. The original, original, um, original sample comes from the song Juicy Fruit. Okay. Um, what, what Biggie song is it though? Uh, and if you don't know, now you know. Um, <laughs> right, right. You know very well who you are, you know? Uh-huh. And so I played that break on TikTok, and it went slightly viral. Huh. Uh, I think I'm at like 12,000 views at this point, which cool. isn't, yeah, it's not, I, maybe that- viral word but it, it kind of hit a little bit yeah that ain't nothing and I, and I actually knew i actually knew that i i did something because people start there was like a couple of haters and i was like oh wow <laughs> <laughs> like uh, I, I did something because right. people are <laughs> oh god uh, so so yeah i've just been i've just been playing you know i've i've done um a bunch of breaks on there, uh, some classic stuff, or even like, you know, so fresh and so clean. Mm-hmm. I just did like 30 ways to leave your lover. And I did, uh, uh, seven, 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 93, 11. And 30, just a bunch wait, of, 30 ways to leave your lover. Oh, did I say 30? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <Seth. laughs> you didn't know about that break. Yeah, I, man, I, that's a deep cut. That's a deep cut. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so, yeah, I've just, you know, I've gotten a lot, way more views than I've ever gotten on Instagram or Facebook, first mm. of all. Yeah. And, and I can say that all of the views are from people that I don't know. And that's something that I've really kind of noticed for me personally on Facebook and Instagram. It kind of becomes like, thanks, thanks, auntie. Thanks, cousin. <laughs> You know what I mean? Right, you put up a right. Thanks, people, thanks, know. guy that I played a wedding gig with seven years ago. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm noticing mostly, you know, Facebook. Facebook has kind of turned into this, like, you know, forty somethings arguing their their political point off of their biased news source that they they can't stop watching. Right. So that's Facebook. Instagram is a little a little better. You know, you can sort of promote yourself but it's again it's to your friends and and uncles and cousins yeah but tiktok it hits people that don't know you and and not only that the 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 common misconception is that tiktok is this thing for young people doing dance moves and all this stuff but i've i've come to actually like look at tiktoks and realize that it there is financial advice 
there's real estate advice, mm -hmm. there's health advice, there's doctors on there giving like advice for when you get to the emergency room, how you should talk to a doctor. There's lawyers on there telling you how to talk to cops when you get pulled over, what your rights are. There are there are endless, you know, cooking, you know, my, my girlfriend gets into like cooking recipes and there's so much information on TikTok and people are so incredibly creative with the way they make they're these little you know they're these little uh you know video snippets and they put them together in a way that i mean right now i'm learning more from tiktok than anything hmm. about you know about financial planning about um i mean you name it it's on there and i i, I try to I, I try to talk to my peers about that because i think people are still so on the, the like facebook instagram thing right that i'm like, no like you're not you're not gonna you're not gonna convince your high school friend of of their political side <laughs> right right have you're you gonna learn sorry go ahead shit. i i just i just feel like with with tiktok you, you i just I've learned so much, you know, and you just keep scrolling. There's a lot that you don't have to, but I mean, even that, like the funny shit. Hits, yeah. It, you know, and there's actually like, you know, sort of pop culture things that are going on that if you're not watching TikTok, you're kind of missing, you're, you're missing these funny inside jokes. that sure. people are. Like, ah, because again, know? like Facebook and Instagram is like mostly your friends, mostly your age group. Um, yeah. and, and you said like, you know, if you put something on Instagram, uh, you know, your group is going to see it. And, and the flip side of that coin is you are only going to see shit from your group basically. Yeah. But it sounds like TikTok, you can, you know, you can put yourself out there and tons of different people will see it. And you will also be exposed to tons of different shit that you don't normally follow. Um, exactly. which I think, you know, Josh Harmon talked mainly about how you can use TikTok to, you know, put your thing out there, promote yourself, et cetera. Um, yeah. but, uh, I, I like what you're talking about, how it's, it's, it's just a source for all kinds of, uh, information and education. Absolutely. Yeah. Have you been yeah. able to find, uh, like, do you see a path, um, for, uh, you know, promotion on TikTok that actually results in work. Has that happened? I've quite literally, yeah. I, I now I have a student actually who happens to be in Atlanta, huh. a, a, a drum student that you know hit me up and was like, "I love your TikTok page. Do you give drum lessons?" Absolutely, you know. I, and then um, I, I'm working with a producer now in LA who, you know, saw my you know, hip hop breaks and was like, man, I want to get this guy on some tracks. And now he's, um, he's someone that I work with pretty regularly, you wow. know? Uh, yeah. So I work has come from it uh, pretty quickly. Um, and I'm sure, I mean, I haven't, I haven't cracked the code with, uh, getting, getting more, but that's, that's a good start, you yeah. know? And, yeah. You know, something you can also do on TikTok that's cool is you can duet. So right, Josh if, talked about that. Yeah, so there was a singer that I I really dug one of the songs he did. So I did, I played drums a lot. You know, it was just him in his car singing to his his camera phone. Wow. Uh, 
it was in time and it, enough to you know I, I played drums along to it you know and then someone just i did like the sucker mcs break uh recently and this guy rapped to it uh, a couple of days ago and man yeah so there's like cool stuff like that that i i bet could help with promo or help you know linking up with other musicians um especially in this time where you can you can absolutely have a lot of work over the over FaceTime, over email and all that stuff. other big names on your resume is uh carl denson's tiny universe which you did for like two years right yeah yeah uh after you moved to la um and i like i i I dig him i dig that music um i've i've heard that he can be kind of a tough dude to work for um and i i I just want to hear a little bit about your experience um and you know, to be clear, I'm not I'm not inviting you to like talk shit about a big name, but just in the sense, like we've all you know, we've all had some difficult bosses. What? No doubt. Not carefully about this because I'm like, oh, I know. <laughs> no, but I mean, we've all you know, we've all worked for difficult band leaders who who were difficult in one way or another. Um, Absolutely. And so, so like, you know, what did that look like, and how did you navigate that, and and uh, were you able to stick the dismount? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so, you know, it started out, it was, a, okay, I'll, I'll start from the very beginning. Uh, I was on a little mini tour with Brian Jordan, who played guitar for Carl. Mm-hmm. For, and it was interesting. I, I don't know how it all lined up, but I was actually on the road with Brian and got this call out of the blue from Carl. Like, oh, can you do this weekend of dates? You know, I need a drummer. The, my my drummer just left. Hmm. And or, or like he fired a guy. He's like, I fired a guy. He wasn't cutting it. Uh, can you do these? And I was like, cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll learn the stuff. I thought it was just a weekend of work. And um, I learned all his stuff. And then he he called me maybe like a week later. And he's like, hey, I found another. I got a guy. I, I got a permanent guy, so I'm going to go with him. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Um, I'm, uh, no problem at all. He even like paid me a little bit you mm-hmm. know, for my time. And it was, it was just totally cool. Then about a month later, he calls me again. And he's like, I'm about to go on a two-month tour. And this dude just left out of nowhere. Mm. It, it, um, <laughs> this dude... What was his name? He because he played he played for, um, oh he had he had like a big gig, but um, so he you know he lasted maybe a month, and he just bolted. He was like, nope, wow, and yeah, and Carl was like, like kind of more like yeah, come, come, I got two months, you know, let's go, and I was like, cool, let's do it, you know. And meanwhile, I was I was uh, touring with Lyrics Born. I had a duo called Skins and Needles. Like I was I was doing my thing, um, but I looked at Carl's schedule and I was like, 
this dude is working. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, and and I, you know, I really didn't. I knew of Galactic, like uh, Crown City opened for Galactic. I kind of, I you know, I got to know Stanton, I know all the all those guys, but I didn't really know much about the jam band scene. You know, I'm friends with the Lettuce guys, but not from the jam band thing. You know, right. from school, right? But the jam band world wasn't even in my head. You yeah. know, I was like, oh, let me go, you know, play some gigs with this guy, right. the sax. But meanwhile, I'm hearing. I'm hearing in my right ear and my left ear from a whole source of people like, do watch it with this dude. <laughs> it's hard to work with this and that. Just like, just my, you know, just, just, just keep your eyes keep, wide open. <laughs> open. And I'm yeah. like, okay, cool. And I, I, I do this kind of audition. I go down to San Diego and it's just me and Carl in a room. And he's like, play me an Afrobeat groove. And, he, you know, he plays some sax along with it. Play me Cold Sweat. Cold Sweat is like this dude's favorite drum beat. In the If, if he could have every song be the Cold Sweat drum pattern, I, <laughs> he would be cool. <laughs> but uh, I think I might too, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. There are 500 others, though, just right. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so... I mean, we're going through this thing and it's totally cool. Like, I'm like, oh man, this, you know, he is cool. Like we, we just, we vibe, we're hanging. It was cool. And he's just like, I think this is going to work. I'm like, I'm, I'm down. So like a week later I get on a plane and I'm on a, a two month tour. Mm-hmm. And, and it, I, w- I would say the first, probably the first year was cool um he he was he was he he wanted you know he's a band leader he he wants things to sound a certain way right and it was all reasonable you know like it, it there was nothing that I, I i would say like he's maybe maybe not the best communicator at times mm-hmm. which leave things a little like wait what do you want are you wait what do you want you know yeah yeah so that can get confusing um and and you know the gig isn't isn't easy you know especially for a drummer like the and he said it too he's like the drummer in this band i i mean that's probably the most important thing in that in that band is like the drummer has to be, you know, super rock solid, know the tunes in and out. You know, we're playing like fairly difficult tunes and, yeah. and a lot of them. I mean, he, you know, we played two, two and a half hour sets, uh, you know, a lot of material and he would switch up the material a lot. You had, you know, you'd have to learn the, the one thing about that, that group is you do um, tributes. So it's like, I was on this two two month tour, and you know I, I I'm 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 knowing his stuff as best I can. I you know things are cool, mm-hmm. but then it's like yeah, in 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 a couple of weeks we're gonna do a Ray Charles tribute. So you got to learn. We're gonna do an hour set of of uh, Tiny Universe stuff, and then an hour set of Ray Charles stuff. Mm-hmm. So 
okay, I'm going to learn a, a whole new set. Meanwhile, I'm like still getting comfortable with his stuff, you know? Right. Some of the members in his band have been with him day one. I mean, um, you know, the uh, the bass player, the horn player, they'd have been with him for 20 years or so, yeah. you know? Um, so, yeah, we're just learning a, a ton of material all the time. And uh, I think, you know, when things started to get a little hairy is like, when he would he would like he'd want you to play a certain way but he, he's really big into comparisons oh so and so plays it like this you know mm-hmm. his favorite drummer in the world is Zach Nager the hmm. drummer for original drummer for the Grey Wall All-Stars mm-hmm. I was forever like yeah well you know he, his favorite line is Zach is the funkiest drummer in the world hmm. you know he loves and and i love zach too i you know zach is a good friend of mine and he's an incredible person incredible drummer um i get it but it can kind of wear at you after a while being like look at that guy look at that guy because you do that i do that right you know (laughs) so uh yeah it, it got to it got to kind of be like um you, you know that you know the scenario where it's like a parent, you, you, like the the kid, their kid is never good enough. Mm-hmm. But you, um, it was kind of that vibe, like like no one in the band is is good enough. But look at all these people doing better than you, and that that that's kind of the vibe that starts you know starts yeah, to happen. Yeah, and and it's just like ah no man it it it. it and you know, I I I'm the type of person that'll like try to strive. To, I'll be like, okay, let me work harder. Like, like let me, you know, let's get this. Let, let me. Oh, you don't like the way I'm playing this? I, I'm gonna. I'll study. You want me to? Oh, Zach played it this way. I'm gonna study Zach. Let me let me figure it out. Let me crack the code. You right, know. Right. Right. But you know, once you crack that code, there's a different thing on a different song, or the next tribute coming up, or. <laughs> You yeah, know, yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like the gig was just kind of a moving target from day one, both in terms of the material that you had to cover and yeah. the way in which you had to cover it. Yes, which is like, I mean, it, it's an interesting thing because you don't want to, you don't want to ever, uh, I don't ever want to be like, oh, I'm defeated, you know, mm-hmm. I'm like, like, well, that's what a professional musician does. Like, this is, this is what just what's asked of you. And that band does it, and they do it really well. Like mm-hmm. you know, everyone in that band learns all that stuff and and kills it. And um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a weird environment, especially to be in as a drummer, because he would like tell stories of you know I can't even tell you how many drummers have been through that camp. It's like something in the teens, fourteen. <laughs> I was maybe the fifteenth, you know. And yeah. he would tell riding in the van and he would tell me stories about firing drummers you know like (laughs) this this guy cried and you know like yeah i fired this guy you know and we had and it like just almost dark almost like a brag fest and like he literally was telling me a story about 
firing drummers days before he actually let me go. <laughs> wow. That's you know crazy, I mean? man. Cause like in, you know, in, in, on the bandstand, you're hearing about, um, you know, drummers who aren't you, who do it better than you. And in the van, you're hearing about <laughs> those guys getting fired. Right. <laughs> like here is it, your future. <laughs> and, and actually, you know, when it comes down to it though, like the moment of, you know, when he let me go, it was not, it was totally cool. Like he came at it. He was like, man, we're, I'm, we're going in a, uh, he he was like, I love you. I love the way you play. Um, this is this is hard to do. Like I, you know, that that whole thing. And he he was hiring Alan Evans, who's from Soul Eye. Yeah. Who actually was the original drummer of Carl Denson's Tiny Universe. Was he? Wow. So like the, the when um when the Tiny Universe started, um he Alan was the drummer, you know, and and Soul Live blew up, so he went that direction. So right. it wasn't, you know, so it was kind of like this thing that it was very, uh, I, like I understood, you know, that the jam band scene is very much a scene. It's a, it's a it's a, you know, I I mean to to give an example, there's a lot of people in that scene. While I was with Carl, I would you would think we're good friends of mine and i'd hear from all the time and they'd be like oh you know we're we're cool and the second i'm out of it it's like who (laughs) (laughs) yeah very very, you know it It does seem like an insular kind of scene Um, and if you're in it you may not see that and you know but it's and and so to have alan evans play drums for Carl Denson's tiny universe at like to make a move like that in the scene. It's like it, like the high school popularity contest that he just won the Holy grail. It's like, Oh, because in the scene, the, 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 you know, the, (laughs) the like uh, jam band fans are like, they love that type of stuff. Whoa. Alan, their favorite thing. is watching. I saw Kraz jam with <laughs> leftover salmon and then so-and-so got up. And, you know, it's their favorite thing in the world. So they're like, wait a minute, Alan Evans. Right. Like, oh, you know, so it was like a very smart political move to make, you know. And at the time I was like, I get it. It's cool. Yep. You know. And you and were kind of you were kind of wanting out anyway. Like it's it's more than cool. Yep. Because there's a there's a sense of relief that came over me that was just like, oh, because I even I got emails from people when I joined Tiny Universe. I got like emails from hip hop heads, kind of being like, what, what are you what are you doing? <laughs> you <know? laughs> yeah. So I, I mean, but man, I gotta say, like from that experience. And this isn't just me like being diplomatic. I like I learned a lot musically and I also made some connections and some friendships. Like the best thing I got out of that, I have to say hands down is meeting DJ Williams, Dela from Slightly Stupid, the the saxophone player, mm-hmm. Kenneth Crouch, you know. And and there's there's some more that I'm sure I'm forgetting about right now, but those three guys um i gotta say like that was that was like the biggest gift that i got from the um 
the whole tiny universe experience was meeting you know dj williams kenneth crouch and and dayla like the i mean from that um you know now i now i tour with dj mm-hmm. with his his um his band shots fired and kenneth crouch is a a good dear friend of mine who you know he's played on both of my eps um you know we we connect as friends and as you know musical friends and so there was a lot of good that came out of it but but yeah i mean the 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 rumors are true it's tough, <laughs> tough to work for tough boss. as a yeah uh he you know and i you know i i think there's that especially from his generation there's that sort of like romantic thing of you know you know those like jazz stories like that like the whiplash movies like yep. oh he symbol at his head and that's how he became a good musician right yeah and i was gonna say like as you were describing this like especially the um you know the van thing talking about firing drummers or whatever like you know i think for for musicians of a certain generation like that's the language they use to like light a fire under people yeah and yeah um and and i'm i'm just like that's actually you know there's probably Probably more to all those stories and 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 there's probably many stories of non-toxic relationships you know but somehow pe- people from that generation have have glorified or sort of romanticized in their mind this you know like i'm gonna i'm gonna you know this tough love thing which actually kind of turns into this like a toxic environment yeah and it's, it's like it's like no, you got it all wrong. Because I mean, there's so much, so many other thriving. You know, you don't hear that about Chikoria, or you know, you don't hear that about a lot. Actually, you hear a lot more about people that are really good at their craft, being humble and easy to work with, and all that stuff. So yeah. to romanticize like being mean to your band right. is like you haven't been paying attention to the whole story you know right like, and i mean to be fair like there there are you know uh icons who were absolute assholes to their band like miles davis and james brown and you know and and whatever their methods were they got the results they got <laughs> you know so i think in that school of thinking it's like this is this is how you do it this is how you uh you know bring motherfuckers up and and whip them into shape and um right. you know but but not everybody responds <laughs> <laughs> yeah since then it seems like you've been doing more freelance work you've got your own studio uh bunkhouse recordings um which i want to i want to hear a little bit about but like is is bunkhouse also a a record label or trying to be a record label or are you just kind of a a studio shop uh right now it's just just a studio Mm -hmm. you know just just a a place where you know i i do remote drum recording I produce for people, um, work, I'm working with, a, uh, you know, I've put out a, a bunch of EPs, 
uh, worked with and produced singers. Uh, Sydney Renee is one of them, uh, uh, Rakia Ashanti. Uh, I'm working with a singer right now, Jessica Allen. Um, she used to she used to sing backups for Janet Jackson, and um, she's now you know she's she's going out on her own and uh, working on an album with her. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I I don't really have aspirations to be a label, although. If that needs to happen. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not sure what that even means anymore. Um, Cause we all are sort of our own. Labels. Yeah. I mean the lines between like, you know, mixing and producing and promoting and like, it just seems like it's all sort of there. All the lines are gone in terms of the roles people play. Right. Right. Yeah. It, yeah. You have to play all the roles. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, so I mean, I'm I'm learning every every aspect as best I can. I mean, luckily I have um, I have friends and sort of colleagues that are more interested in in the the business side of things. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm trying to hand over a lot of a lot of that stuff to them to help, like you know, push singles. Um, uh, I just finished a single with a singer named Gerard Indigo, great singer from the Bay. Um, you know, I, so I, yeah, I, the, th- the thing is when I joined Crown City Rockers, um, that's when I really started to hone in on like production skills. Cause I realized just being a drummer, first of all, isn't what was needed in Crown City Rockers. Mm-hmm. Cause in that camp could program drums incredibly could program drums better than i could program drums and Mm -hmm. you know that's humbling to be like well i'm a drummer and it's like well it's not really about that you know (laughs) about like like style and taste and and you know so um i i started working on an mpc 2000 and started making hip-hop beats and then from there uh moved into like pro tools and reason and then about uh, like five or six years ago, started working on uh, in Ableton. And, you know, meanwhile, I've been, I, I got my first laptop, I think in like 2006 or something. And I, I work constantly when I'm on the road, uh, you know, I, I'm in the van working on music. I'm in the, or the bus or on the plane in the hotel room, constantly working on stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and I just did it for, for fun until, um, actually like when I left tiny universes, when it, it kind of opened up a, a lot more time for me to like focus on production right? and like get into a space where I was like, Oh, maybe I could start releasing stuff, you know, like actually get into it. And, uh, you know, um, I I got my I got this studio. It's 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 a it's a rehearsal space, but I turned it into a a studio. I, I coming up on three years, maybe even four now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, it seemed like you know when I when I wrote your bio, like you had you had kind of gotten your feet on the ground with with that space and with that business. Um, and that was, I don't know, six months before COVID hit or something. Yes. And that's, that's, what's been interesting is, um, 
man, I, I had been going nonstop as a touring drummer, but a, aspiring producer. Mm-hmm. And um, it took it took COVID. I mean, COVID has been an interesting thing for everybody, but for me personally, it I, it made me realize like how much I was on the road, and um, I do love the road, but I, I also have really been loving sleeping in my own bed every night and like having a routine with my girlfriend and seeing her all the time. And, you know, yeah. like it, it's, it's really, it's changed my, my outlook. And I love the studio. Like I really genuinely love it where before it was like, it's something that I would do and I wanted to get better at, but I, you know, I've always been a live drummer. Yeah. You know? Me too. Yeah. So I, man, I literally came, I was on a five week, I was, I was on the road for seven weeks. Um, I was, we, I did a, a, a two week tour with DJ Williams, shots fired. We were opening up for G love and special sauce. <laughs> <laughs> and I literally played the last of the last song of the last night of that tour and like walked off the stage and ran out the club to an Uber to the airport for a red eye to Paris where I went on a five week tour in Europe with Kelly Finnegan. Um, he's from a band called the monophonics from the Bay area soul band Mm -hmm. and put out a, um, his, his solo record, which is incredible. It's that old soul sound. He, he has this incredible studio, up in the bay uh transistor sound i believe it's called yeah i feel like uh, i've heard of that yeah it's it's all analog yeah. everything yeah yeah all here and he just does everything and it, you know he has that sound and he's he's an incredible songwriter and stuff so you know i go on this five week tour all through europe you know it just incredible um and as the tour is wrapping up, they're shutting down Italy. Like it's, I was there as COVID was like really hitting, you oh, know? Oh man. And it was just crazy. Like I literally came home from b- being on the road for seven weeks, playing in front of thousands of people to no work for this foreseeable future and like doing DoorDash because I don't know what's going to happen next. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, uh, but through that, I ended up really diving deep into, you know, the studio and and bunkhouse recordings and this, you know, being a producer and, um, really honing my skills as a, a producer, sort of a ranger mix, mix engineer, um, right learning all that stuff. And, you know, it's really humbling. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, I'm. Yeah, I know. Like, you know, COVID sort of gave you the the time and the space to to dive deeper into something you were sort of already into, already doing. Um, right. And for me, it gave me the time and space to start from fucking scratch on something I knew next to nothing about. Um, I thought you'd never 
have to like worry about, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause like you, I mean, I was just a live drummer. Like I did, you know, I did session work here and there, but I wasn't engineering it. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so yeah, it's just, it's this like humbling, frustrating, inspiring, energizing, uh, just all this, all this shit wrapped up in, in this last year. Um, yeah. but, uh, but I'm really glad that, you know, I got the space and time to do it. You got the space and time to do it. Um, uh, because now I think moving forward, um, you and I, and, and a lot of other drummers, uh, are, are just sort of thinking of our, our careers in a, in a different paradigm. It's not like you're, you're chasing one particular gig. It's not like you're chasing a particular lifestyle of like, Oh, I want to be touring all the time. Or, you know, I just want to, I want to be in the studios all the time. Now it's, it's for me, at least I'm, I'm just sort of looking at the future. Like it's, it's going to be some of this and some of that, and I'm in control of most of it. And, you know, here's the list of things that I'm no longer saying yes to. (laughs) Um, and you know, I always, I always, um, add the caveat that I'm, I'm in a somewhat privileged position in that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm married, my wife makes money. We're like, we're okay on the, on the money front. And, and I'm not one of these musicians that just has to be doing every single gig that's available as soon as it's available, you know, possibly putting themselves in danger. Um, and you know, no, no shade on, on anyone who's just going straight back to the grind. Um, right. but, uh, I think for a lot of us, it's, it's just like, uh, you know, new, new priorities, different priorities. Um, Absolutely. I, yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, my mindset is definitely different right now because yeah, leading up to COVID, I was, I always would say I'm in the business of saying yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I did, I actually did a podcast, uh, kind of in the beginning of COVID. Um, and that's, that was kind of the the theme of it. I was like, yeah, you got to say yes to everything, this and that. And, um, and now I'm like, whew. I mean, I even had, I had a wedding gig. It was like a socially distanced wedding gig last fall. It was outside, you know, and I had to be set up at four o'clock. We weren't playing until eight. The load in was crazy. Yep. No, and I and the whole time I was like, you know, I left I left my house at like one, <laughs> you know, because I had to be in traffic to get to the thing in order to load in and set up and be ready at four so I could sit around till eight. Yep. And I was like, wow, I you know, I when you're on the grind, you nothing of it but i had the perspective of like not having gigs for a year and then having this gig where i was like the time and effort i've put into this wedding gig and it is good pay but don't don't calculate how many hours you put in versus what what you're getting paid right right never mind how many hours out of this day it took up like how many years off your life did it take (laughs) Um, I think, I think, you know, it was like a 12 hour thing. Yeah. And you talk about being in the business of saying yes. And, and, you know, for, for some people that is the correct policy. That is the necessary policy. Like I said, for, like for people who really need the money, that is the correct policy for a young drummer who is trying to get reps. 
that is the correct policy. But I really? think for for a lot of us um, who uh, you know again are okay financially and who also just have a clearer sense of what's important to us and what we don't have to fuck with anymore, um, yeah. you know, it's been a, just a good palate cleansing um, uh, to 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 move forward with. I told somebody the other day, like, you know, I, I'm I'm not. You know, I'm, I'm not going to say no to every wedding gig that comes my way now because sometimes it does make sense to do them. It's like with people people you love, the band's going to be great, the money's good, it's not too far away. Like sometimes it's like, yeah, let's do it. Um, right. But I'm I'm letting I'm letting those sorts of gigs back in the door the same way you let bread back in the door after the whole thirty. You know. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that, yeah. You experience life without it, and you're like, whoa. This feels yeah. great. I mean, bread is delicious, but <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I think I'm gonna be. I mean, I say it. I, I keep saying this, but you know, but I I do think I'm gonna be a little more, you know, picky about about what I take. Um, yeah, you know, I think it's gonna result in happier in happier musicians. Um, all like from from sidemen up to band leaders to to singer songwriters like if if people yeah. can if people can figure out a way to just spend less time doing shit that they really don't want to do and ultimately don't have to do I, they're going to spend more time doing the good shit right yeah i let's hope for sure cuz i know i was definitely on the grind and um a great there's a great sax player in LA his name is Dave Orkidi and he um he plays for war but he uh he has a tiktok where he talks about a lot of stuff like that you mm -hmm. know and one of his things was he was saying a lot of us musicians sort of glorify the overworking aspect yeah like i'm busy i got no sleep i, I you know i have 10 gigs tomorrow and i see no end to it right. as if that's a good thing you right. know i'm on the grind i'm on the hustle yeah and i, I I have certainly did that, you know? Yeah, me too. And yeah. I mean, and not only that, like I genuinely love music production. Like I, I just, mm -hmm. I really, I could, I could see myself doing a lot more of this. I, I love, um, you know, the process of a singer coming in and being like, I have these ideas, you know, what, one of the singers I work with, she literally has like voice memos on her, cell phone sitting in traffic just you know singing kind of gibberish lines and i'll hear something in it and be like oh no we we have a song here <laughs> right right and uh you know i'm 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 lucky to be surrounded by a bunch of great musicians and and uh and and to be able to take that little idea and make it's just like I, I love the process and I love being able to do that. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm striving to make that kind of my main thing so that I do have that, um, uh, that freedom to be like, ah, you know what? I, I, I can't take this, this right. gig. And, right. Um, and I'm cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not just, uh, you know, sort of financial freedom. It's, it's about, keeping out, you know, not, like I said, not letting the stuff in that is going to be a drag on you, uh, just sort yes. of spiritually, <laughs> you know, um, absolutely. 
Well, cool, man. I look I look forward to seeing what else what else you do. And uh, it was it was great talking with you. Great seeing you. Thanks for doing it. Oh, thank you, Zach. It's been an honor, man. I really appreciate it. There you go. Max McVitie, sweet dude, humble dude, dedicated dude. Great talking with him. Next week, Matthew Krause will be bringing you his third and final conversation with acoustician Anthony Grimani of Sonatus USA. Sonatus recently provided Matt with some of their acoustic treatments for his room, and they will be A-being the before and after, listening to some examples Matt has recorded, and talking more about how the right treatment can get professional sounds out of just about any room in your house. Come on back and check that out. Until then, stay safe, stay sane. I think if we all just take care of business here a little bit longer, we're going to be in a much better place pretty soon. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.